January 2024, which means it's prediction time. Let's get the easy part out of the way first. High-profile institutions will be breached. Heretofore unknown vulnerabilities will be exposed by bad actors. Identities will be stolen. The continued existence of passwords will be bemoaned. We will talk a lot more about AI. Okay, now for the hard stuff. What should leaders watch out for in the world of cybersecurity and identity? Hi, I'm Ken Cadet, and this is the Untrust Cybersecurity Institute podcast. Today, we're joined by two of our experts. The first is Jordan Avnum, Chief Information Security Officer at Entrust. Thanks for being here, Jordan. Thank you, Ken. Great to be here. And we have Greg Wetmore, VP of Software Development at Entrust. Welcome back, Greg. Thanks a lot, Ken. Always a pleasure to be here. All right, so let's get into it. First question, we have talked a lot about AI in our recent podcast. Seems like sometimes it's all we can talk about. What do we think the big news in AI will be this year? Jordan, why don't you get us started? Yeah, thanks, Ken. 2024, as we all know, is an election year. And during election years, things get, uh, well, a little weird. <laughs> and I anticipate there to be a larger than normal insurgence of AI-generated media, specifically directed at American voters. We, we've seen the ease at which deep fakes can be generated with AI, and the election is really just one more use case for them. This is why I believe we'll be presented with a few options this year, which are readily available, I hope, to the general public to validate the authenticity of photos and videos that we may be seeing. This could come in the form of of tools that analyzes the media to figure out if AI was utilized to create it or modify it, or or maybe there's even some sort of metadata stamp that would provide a level of authenticity that would validate the origin of the media. This is mentioned in the uh, Biden executive order on AI. However, it was specific to communications uh, directed from the government so that uh, you know folks that receive it would be able to validate it was authentic. The hope, of course, is that these uh, authentication mechanisms would, would, would be widely available and, and help combat the spread of misinformation, specifically, of course, this year around the election time. Yeah, so is it almost like a watermark or is it like a, uh, you know, like a certificate, for example, coming from our world uh, that, that would that, that would help confirm authenticity or what kinds of technology are we talking about here? Yeah, it's exactly right. So think about if you if you use a smartphone to capture a picture, there is, uh, you know, there's a lot of metadata associated with that picture. One of them, of course, is your geolocation. If you have that enabled, the time and date, the the type of camera, the lens, the a lot of sometimes the filters you utilize if you're using a nice camera. Uh, one of those things could also be, you know, those things combined actually could uh, be utilized from a certificate perspective and say, hey, this is actually a real photo. It was taken in this place in time. And, and uh, you know, you combine, you know, some of the other technologies we're seeing in perhaps the cryptocurrency world. <laughs> and it could, it could be a, a lot of uh, authentication mechanisms that would be coming together to serve the purpose of validating that a photo is real. You know, Jordan, you're talking about the impact of deep fakes and synthetic identities on the media, on fake news, on on social media. There's a huge connection to deep fakes and, and AI impacts in cybersecurity around identity too. When you, you think about how AI is going to impact phishing and the ability to you know present multiple channels of attack, email, voice, video, all faked with generative AI. Um, so I, you know, I think that connection to deep fakes and synthetic identities is a hugely important one that the cybersecurity 
uh, industry and, and folks who are selling or, or implementing identity solutions are going to have to account for. It seems like it's getting harder and harder to verify identity, even as the, even as all these tools are coming out. I mean, what what are we you know, where, where are we headed with that? Like, what, where, what are you seeing in terms of how um, how we're going to know who's who and what's what as we're uh, trying to interact with each other on the Internet, internet or trying to do transactions that, you know, more and more are of higher and higher value to us. Yeah, I, I think we, we've spoken about a couple of identity trends that are, are strongly connected. Um, we talked about phishing-resistant identity, so being able to use authentication technologies that are inherently difficult or impossible to to fish, disclose your authentication token to a, an attacker who can then use that token to get into a legitimate website. The other piece is people are, I think, are going to start to have to get more comfortable with verifying themselves more frequently uh, at more points in time during a sense of transaction, potentially having to go through some form of identity, identity verification in order to execute that sensitive transaction because of how pervasive identity-based fraud is becoming. It seems like this is like the basis of zero trust in some ways, right? I mean, if nobody's trusted in the network, then you're going to have to verify a lot more, right? Well, that kind of takes us toward our next topic, our next you know area of predictions. Um, you know, we know that compliance is always a challenge, you know, for organizations, for IT leaders. Regulations are always changing and evolving. And we've already we're already starting to see some big announcements coming out from the US administration, from the EU, uh, other places around the world. What are the most relevant that you think our listeners should be aware of that are coming down the line? What kinds of impacts are you seeing? in the year ahead. Greg, why don't you start with this one? Yeah, so AI is such an emerging technology and it's starting to show up in just about everything. And there's a lot of discussion out there really talking about is AI good, is AI bad, you know, and the potential for both of those things. Uh, and so governments are starting to think about well, how do we how do we make sure the use of AI in our jurisdiction is safe? Um, we've talked before about the three H's, you know, helpful, harmless, honest. How do you make sure that the uses of AI, you know, are ultimately moral, right, are helpful? Um, and there's a couple of, of interesting, you know, regulatory frameworks that are starting to show up. Um, the EU has had, um, uh, wrote, wrote up the AI Identity Act last year, as far as I understand, set for ratification in the first half of 2024. And that's a pretty structured regulation on AI for the European Union. Last October, the White House released an executive order on AI. Um, some people called it the AI Bill of Rights. And it it was less structured and less, wasn't structured to be a law, but it sort of set out the expectation from the White House on on what safe use of AI looked like and put some obligation on, on uh, government use of AI and industrial and use of AI on keeping it helpful, harmless, and honest. And Greg, one of the things that I found interesting in that executive order on AI was that it requires every federal government agency to appoint a CAIO or chief AI officer. So what's that? Several hundred new CAIOs are going to be hired across the government in the next few months. I expect that trend to, to spill into the private sector as well. Businesses, specifically larger public businesses, will probably appoint a chief AI officer to oversee the adoption, utilization, and, and hopefully ethical use of AI. 
And we know appointment of these leaders in these roles is is an excellent way for companies to signal to their investors and boards and, and customers that they are serious about the adoption, utilization, and uh, appropriate use of these AI technologies. Now, the, the longer term question here is, will these roles remain a part of the C-suite for longer term? If we think back to the, the big data boom days, there were quite a few chief data officers that were hired during those years, or maybe even the more recent cloud adoption days where we saw quite a few chief cloud officers being hired. We still see both of these roles exist in larger companies today, simply to a lesser degree than we did during the respective heydays. So the question is really, is it is that longer term or is it really just short term? Yeah, I don't think I can answer that. You'd, you'd just be speculating, but I, I think it's really interesting to think about whether this is a sort of a fad and a hype, or is this something that ultimately delivers long-term value to boards, to shareholders, to customers, you know, to have an executive with that responsibility in your organization. Yeah, everyone should ask themselves, is this acronym really necessary in my C-suite, right? So I think another interesting angle around regulation and AI, it's just the trade-off between regulation and, and innovation. Um, sometimes regulation puts um, puts fences or boundaries uh, around things, um, where if you're potentially trying to build new technology in a jurisdiction that has significant regulation, are you potentially at a disadvantage to a different, you know, your competitor who's in another jurisdiction who doesn't. Um, so I, I do think governments are are thinking about, because of how strategic um, the continued innovation and development around AI is, they're thinking carefully about making sure that they don't disadvantage their country or, or industry or whatever it is from innovating in this space. Yeah, that's definitely going to be an area to watch. Um, the other one we've talked about a lot is privacy, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on where we're headed with data privacy regulations and regulations and laws. Do we think we'll see some progress there or some uh, different directions? Yeah, there's there's currently five states which have rather comprehensive privacy laws in the United States. And in, in 2024, we'll see several other states, additional states with privacy laws that go into effect. And while most of these state-by-state state privacy legislation is similar, uh, they're still pretty different, which, which makes for doing business across state boundaries, difficult sometimes to say the least. I really think we'll see a, a nationwide privacy rule specific, specifically from the FTC that would provide a singular standard of care for treatment of, of citizen personal data. We know the FTC has been working on it since about uh, 2022 or so. And so hopefully in 2024, the draft rule um, will be released and we'll get a glimpse of that. We've already seen uh, just a few weeks into 2024, in fact, the FTC banned a data broker from selling people's location data. And I believe this is just the start for what uh, 2024 has in store related to privacy and regulation. When GDPR came into effect in the EU, we saw a pretty huge uh, impact on service providers and technology providers. When an influential jurisdiction passes structured regulation like GDPR on privacy, it, it really doesn't have an effect. And if the U.S. sort of follows suit, Jordan, as you're describing, I mean, from the FTC, I think that again will have a pretty significant effect on service providers and technology providers. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll, that'll definitely be one to watch. 
let's talk about identity. One of the key predictions we talked about last month in our blog was this idea of, you know, are we headed toward an identity crisis? The idea of the rising need for digital identity and inclusion in the kind of digital identity infrastructure in the world. Where do we see that heading in 2024? Jordan, why don't you take that one on? I know it's an easy one, but you know, we, <laughs> we know you'll do well with it. <laughs> when I think about this, I think training of our people is is continually needed. And of course, folks have heard me uh, pontificate before on why cybersecurity awareness is important and that training is, is important, but also specifically to this, training on the inclusion front is absolutely not only important, it's really required. We really must remain aware of the technology we're using, developing, and truly training does not include any biases in it, in, into it at all. It's up to us as humans to basically ensure that this doesn't occur. Again, continual training and awareness on these risks is is actually continually needed or else we're going to see this this problem crop up and get progressively worse than perhaps we we think it already is today you know i Pat, i find your question really important you talked about identity crisis and and i could kind of go right back to the sort of fundamental point you're trying to make there i think which is that digital identity is becoming fundamentally connected to how people receive social services and how they are represented as part of society, um, whether it's you know political systems, voting, financial inclusion, education, housing, these fundamental human needs are becoming tied to digital identity. Um, and I think, I think that's what you mean by identity crisis. I saw a study that showed uh, nearly 850 million people, sorry, yeah, a million people across the globe uh, don't have any form of identity. Um, I think so. So that consequence really there calls for government and businesses to be investing over the long term in identity systems and infrastructure and choosing technology and techniques that are inclusive, that allow us, you know, allow the global population to participate here and, and not be restricted based on socioeconomic background or any kind of advantage or disadvantage they might have. Yeah. If you want people to have opportunity, they need to be able to have the tools to get involved in a big, you know, essentially a digital economy, right? Exactly. So from a technology standpoint, it sounds like um, biometrics can play a role in this. I think biometrics are really interesting when we're thinking about inclusiveness and digital identity because everybody has them. But I think what's really important when we're thinking about biometrics in the context of digital identity is biometric identity verification or biometric authentication really has to be done correctly for it to be uh, inclusive and safe. Jordan talked about bias. Biometric verification really has to be carefully built to and tested to be free from bias. Biometric authentication has to incorpor incorporate liveness checking and, and robust and accurate liveness checking to prevent and be resistant to fraud and attack. And, you know, a, a picture can't be used in place of a real person's face or a biometric system is, isn't going to work that way. But yeah, I think it has a great that great property of in inclusiveness. Everybody has some form of biometrics that they potentially can use to authenticate themselves or verify their identity. Okay, so the final question we'll put out there. In our last podcast, we talked about um, how AI seemed to come from nowhere to dominating the news and cultural zeitgeist. To finish this conversation, what do you guys think will be the out-of-the-blue surprise in 2024? Greg, we'll let you start. 
it's hard not to talk about AI even to answer this question. Um, you know, we, one of the things we talked about last year, Ken, was the threat to AI and how it, you know AI is being built into all of these systems and being part of cybersecurity systems make it a big target for attack. And I think I'll combine one of the things we saw an incredible amount of in 2024, which is data breach with the concept of AI. I have a feeling that we're going to see a massive data breach of training data that was used to create one of these LLMs. And people are going to be incredibly surprised that the detailed information that has been scraped off the internet when that when that data breach hits the public. So yeah, that, that's my prediction for next year. That'll be an interesting one. How about you, Jordan? You know, I, I wish I could be pretty accurate at, at predicting the future. I think I'd, I'd be visiting uh, Las Vegas a lot more often if so. With that being said, we, we've talked a lot about AI. We talked a lot about deep fakes, which are nefarious uses of, of what we would call AI impersonation. What about a good use for AI impersonation? This has recently been coined digital double uh, or the term of a digital double. And they've done properly. This could be really cool technology that would allow your digital double to say, attend a virtual meeting for you, show up, see your likeness. Obviously, folks would know as a digital double and respond to questions on your behalf based upon what the AI model knows that you know, based on your emails, based on conversations that knows you have, knows you've had, perhaps the message, instant messages you've exchanged back and forth, and it even can go as far as to action a few easy to do's for you as follow up from the meeting, and of course, by your view. This sounds a little scary. It, it the quite idea is a little scary. I think it's it's a bit of a I jump to get there. At the same time, it sounds really cool, and I think we're I think we're pretty close to getting there. Jordan, if this can fix my daily calendar, sign me up for the pilot group, please. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, my friend. And we'll see if the prediction comes true, and if it does, uh, my digital double will be here hosting the podcast to uh, see how we did and talk all about it. So we'll leave it at that. Then, um, Jordan, Greg, thank you for being here. The Entrust Cybersecurity Institute podcast was produced by Stephen Damone. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, email your opinions and ideas to cybersecurityinstitute at entrust.com. Thank you very much. And until next time. Mm-hmm.